praise God for Jesus. You know, we've been in Joshua for a few weeks, working towards revival meetings. We're one month out. I mean, one week out next week will be our revival services. And we've been preaching through Joshua. And today we are in Joshua chapter 7. Anyone who's read Joshua knows what chapter that is. It's not a chapter that a whole lot of preachers like to preach about. Myself looked and seen, but I think this sermon you're going to hear tonight, this morning, is probably the greatest sermon to make you realize what is hindering revival in your life. It's what always has hindered God's work and his activity in our life, sin. And when you look at Joshua, we've seen that in the beginning of Joshua, that God told Joshua, I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you to lead these people into the promised land that I promised you, and I'm going to give you your spiritual inheritance. And we've been looking through that. You know, today, I look and I wonder, where are the great preachers today of yesterday that preached whatever the Bible said? <laughs> the whole counsel of God's Word. You know, as Paul was going on a mission, his way to Jerusalem, realizing he was going to be arrested as tried and imprisoned for his ministry in the gospel he was on that last missionary journey and he went by Ephesus he was going by the churches checking on all the churches where he had seen God save and plant a congregation and he was going back to the church of Ephesus and he called for the elders that's the pastors to come and before we get to where we're going to read I want to see what he told them And it says, and when they had come to Paul, he said to them, you know from the first day I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with humility and with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of my fellow Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you, and I taught you publicly and from your house to house testifying to the Jews and also to the Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have preached the kingdom of God will see my face no more. And then he says what I want us to pay attention. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why could he say that? For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. Paul said, I've told you everything the Lord has told me. I've not just picked out the good stuff. I've preached to you all of it. What he's saying right there is that I have not avoided, I have not ceased from declaring to you everything God has to say. And then he says this to them. So now, brethren, I commend to you, God, I recommend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now, I want you to listen to that last verse again. Because Paul said, I've not shunned to preach to you everything this holy book has to say. Now, brethren, I can commend you to the God who gave us this word and to his word, which is able to build you up. And give you your inheritance, which is to all of those who believe, no, all of those who are sanctified, what we've been talking about last week and the weeks before. 
And you know, when we look at Joshua, Joshua is a book that is primarily thought of as victory. But there's two chapters that are primarily about defeat. And we're going to look at them today. And as you read with me here this morning, starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, Joshua has been leading the people as God has led him. And the people have done everything God said to do. When he heard what God told him and God gave him the plan, he called him out and he said, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow God will do wondrous works in our midst. And everyone listened and they sanctified themselves. We looked at that last week. And God led them across the flooded Jordan River, which was humanly impossible. He parted the river. They went across. As soon as they got across, he gave them directions that he wanted them to do. He said, get 12 stones, make a memorial, and worship me in remembrance of what I've done and how I brought you into the promised land, which is your spiritual inheritance, this land of milk and honey, a picture of the victorious life in Christ, of God's abundant provision and his protection in his presence. That's what everyone here ought to be looking for this morning. And God brought them over, and they put those stones, and they worshiped, and God said, and now... Take every man who's uncircumcised, who didn't get circumcised while y'all were in the wilderness 40 years, and circumcised them. And the amazing thing, they did that. Then they partook of the Passover again. And then Jesus showed up as the Lord's commander of the Lord's army. And then they went in and they victoriously seen God supernaturally move and give them one of the most greatest and biggest fortified cities of all. In their promised land, Jericho. And how many of you have heard the story of Jericho? We've heard it so many times. And then the last thing it says after that, if you look with me, the last verse before we get to chapter 7, it says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Boy, that, how would you like to have him for your pastor? (laughs) The Lord was with that man, and His fame was spreading everywhere that God is on that man of God. And God is using those people. And he's doing wondrous works in their midst. But I don't like that word sometimes. And this is one of the times I hate the word but in the word of God. Verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. Regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Koramai, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. And I want you to see what immediately happened. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. I want to preach to you a little while this morning about sin in the church. Not sin in the world, sin in us. Sin in God's people. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho. They didn't even realize what sin had done to them yet. And he sent them to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel. And he spoke to them, saying, go up and spy out the country. That's just what they did in Jericho. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, do not even let all the people go up. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the, there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men 
For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, at last, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your faith? Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken from amongst the accursed things And have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. But they turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. And neither will I be with them any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. And here it is again, folks. Get up. And sanctify the people. That's what we looked at last week. Declare yourself holy. Consecrate yourself. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. And get right with God. It's basically what he's saying. For tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. And, O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. When will the people of God learn you can't have victory and sin? You can't have the blessing and the the favor and the accursed things that he says can't be in our lives. Someone said this, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And anyone who's ever went that way knows how true that is. But friends, I want you to look at this for me. The wages of sin has a payday. You never sin when you don't get the wage of what that sin brings. And the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. If you sow sin to the flesh, you'll reap the corruption of the flesh. If you sow righteousness and faith and truth and godliness to the spirit, you'll reap the benefits of eternal life, what the Spirit has. And today, the problem with the church and its ineffectiveness and its defeatedness and its just trying to survive and get by and it's not flourishing, it's not walking with success in in prospering, is not what's going on on CNN. In whatever channel you like. It's what's going on in the house of the living God. That's the problem. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. And that's where revival starts, my friend. When God shows us the truth, he gives us and reveals to us what's reality happening. If our church is struggling, it ain't God. It's us. And friends, I want you to think about this with me. If the story of Jericho is the thrill of victory, and wasn't that awesome last week? 
then the story of Achan is the agony of defeat. And friends, listen, one man, one man coveted the things that God said was his, that he said not to take of. And that one man took it in. But it wasn't that one man. Because your sin affects others every time. Not sometimes. Every time. If I'm sinning, I have more effect to hurt this church than anybody else. But your sin affects us just as much in the eyes of a holy God. Friends, when this man sinned, it didn't only affect him. He brought this spoil home that was forbidden. And the Bible says when you read the rest of it, that he took it in his tent in front of his family. And they would have knew he wasn't supposed to do it. And that's the head of that household, the man, which is us, brothers. He did what God said not to do. My friend, my brother in Christ, if you are habitually living in a way that is displeasing to God, it is a curse to your family and your home. On thus saith the Lord. We won't hear this no more. We're saved. We're washed in the blood. I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm talking about the kind of life you're living today. The spiritual health, the prosperity, and the way God's using and working in us. And friends, listen. He took it and he buried it. They didn't say nothing. No one knew but them in their whole camp. Nobody in the church knew. But God knew. God knew. The pastor didn't know. Joshua said, sending out two spies, go check out AI. It's next. We're advancing. We're moving the kingdom forward. We're taking the land. We're claiming our spiritual inheritance. We're going on in victory. And everybody went and checked it out. And they come back and said, hey, brother, man, God's got this one. You ain't got to send but a few. AI's small. It's unfortified. Ain't nothing to it. They went down there without God. And they got their butts whipped. <laughs> How many of you is tired of seeing the church getting its butts whooped? I'm tired of seeing families defeated. No God. They're just surviving. They're in the wilderness. They're pouncing around. God in mercy, he, he blesses us. He gives you some manna. He gives you some water. He sustains you. But don't you want more than just God to sustain you? Don't you want God to bless you to the point that your cup runneth over, that you're prospering in the things of God? And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about that the hand of God is on you, and it's undeniable that he's doing wondrous works in you and through you and in your family and in this church. Because, friends, you can't have both. And... We need to understand this before we get into this text this morning. That a sanctified church walks in victory. A sinful church walks in defeat. And most churches today are walking defeated spiritual lives. We have no power to change society. Society has changed us already. We have no impact and influence on culture because there's more culture in the church than there's church in the culture. And we walk around with this spirit of overwhelmness. Friends, what's going on in America should concern us. It should burden us, but it ought not scare us. Because America is not our security it's going to get tough in America. I'm here to tell you, it's not going to get better. 
Because I believe with all my heart, the days of our Redeemer coming is drawing nigh. Can I get an amen? And our King is coming. And everything I see about as Jesus gets near his approach of coming back to get his church is that like birth pains, labor pains, the things then a culture and society is going to get worse and worse. The love of everyone's going to grow cold. People are going to turn from the truth. And we see it happening every day. So, friend, you're not going to survive when you're no different than them. How can we save a sinner when we haven't been delivered from sin ourselves? I can't help a drunkard if I'm still drunk. I can't help a drug addict if I'm still addicted and doing drugs. I can't help someone trapped in pornography and, and sexual morality if I'm doing it too. And if we're saved, you need to understand if any of that type stuff is in our lives. And that's just the things we like to pick on in the Baptist church. But I'm talking about covetousness, envying your brother, jealousies, being angered toward them with no justification and holding grudges. That's in every church. And you wonder why God is not blessing us. We ought to... Wherever we go, this ought to be the place where the love of God and the presence of that love manifested between us, we ought to all be on the same side. We ought to all be united more than anywhere else that we go. But in many cases, you hear the church is defeated. I want you to notice something with me here. God told him, if you're right with God today, if you repented, if you confessed your sin and you've repented and you asked God and you're walking with the Lord, don't let what you're seeing going on in the church around here do what it did to him. Yeah, you could be concerned. Yes, it's serious. When Joshua seen what happened to him, the first thing he did, it says in verse 10, the Lord, he, he went and fell down and look what they done. Him and the elders, they, they prayed, they threw dust on their head as a sign of mourning and being tore up about it. But they were right with God. But they was tore up because God's favor had departed. They realized it. And so what did he tell them to do? Friends, those of you who are real, who want to follow the Lord, who will deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ, who are willing to let him fill you with his spirit, hate sin, love him. Friends, what are he's going to tell you to do? Get up. Get up. Look at what he says in verse 10. Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Why is the church all laying on their face, crying and whining? Oh, woe is me. We like a bunch of chicken littles. Oh, the sky is falling. I hope the election goes right. I don't give a rip around the election. I really don't no more. Because I'm, I'm telling you, whatever happens, if they don't get right with God, they're not going to fix this thing. Our hope is in Jesus showing up in here and telling us, hey, don't worry about it. I got your back. I'm with you. It don't matter how many you got. What matters is if you got me. We've lost that. Jesus is more important than all the multitude and popularity. And friends, listen to what he tells him. He says, get up. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. May I tell you that what's wrong with our community and our society and our nation is that America has sinned. They've transgressed 
And we don't have a covenant like them, but we do have a covenant through Jesus Christ. And when you kick out Jesus, you kick out your covenant promise to God's inheritance and blessing over you and your nation. The Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Do you remember when America did at least represent righteousness and God exalted us? But today, America represents sin And we're experiencing the reproach of it. That happens in nations, communities, churches, and families. We have gotten to the point where we think our sin doesn't affect us. But friends, it does. Look at what he says happens right here. He says, therefore, verse 12, the children of Israel, why? Because they transgressed my covenant. Because they sinned. They've even taken of the accursed things. And they put it amongst their own. Therefore, the children of Israel, look at verse 12, could not stand before their enemies. Not only could they not stand, but they ran. They turned their back. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to take the offensive. I'm ready to stand in the Lord and speak for the Lord and represent the Lord and let the chips fall where they may. Say, this is the word of God. This is the way it is. And for us to all come together in sanctification and holiness, let the Lord show up in this place and tell everybody, get right with God or result, get the results you've been getting. And friends, listen to what he told them. He says, therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, their backs before the enemy, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless what? Unless you depart from the accursed things. Friends, there's sin in the church. There's sin in our homes. There's sin in our families that God does not turn a blind eye to. That affects us. So what did he tell them to do? He says right there, get up and sanctify the people. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. And this is what he says and this is what we need to take to grips. He says, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel, and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Friends, I'm here to tell you, if you've got habitual, repetitive sinfulness in your life that you never confess, that you don't even have a desire to repent of, and you are accepting that as that's the way it is, you will never, ever see the presence of God manifested in your life. Anointing will not come. Supernatural abundance and help We may have all of the things we know what to say, but we'll never have the power to do what it says until God shows up. And he told them, does this make us different? Is Israel different than us? No. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told a very sinful church that would have fit in real good today where we are, the church of Corinth. If you read the letters and you study them and you pay attention, the church of Corinth was the most sinful, the most Cornell, the most immature, worldly church of the bunch that he wrote letters to. They were full of all kinds of stuff, just like we are today. And look at what Paul told them in chapter 10, if you want to write it down and look at it later. In chapter 10, 
The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, that means the church, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, into the sea. See, all of them had the cloud that they followed. All of them went through the porting of the Red Sea. They all had been saved by God's supernatural power, the Exodus. But listen what he says. They all ate the same spiritual food. God gave them manna in the wilderness. They all drank the same spiritual drink. God in his mercy, he wouldn't let them thirst to death. They might be thirsty. They might be murmuring. Ooh, we thirsty. He'd let a rock give them a little water from now and then. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That's what the Word says. And look at what he says. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That's New Testament, my friend. And Paul saying, these things that became our examples that they did are showing us and teaching us that we shouldn't lust after the things they lusted after. Evil things. And friends, look at what he says right here. But do not become idolaters as some of them as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Friend, if you looked around at the church today, all it wants to do is sit down to eat, drink, and play. It ain't about God's business. It's about our pleasure. You know what the Bible warned us of? That in the last days, the difficult days, that people would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's all about me. Please me. It ain't about pleasing God no more. Friends, we're here. It ain't coming. We're in the midst of it. You're not going to survive if you don't get a hold of Jesus and let Jesus get a hold of you. Religion ain't going to make it anymore. Churches that just come and play and it's a weekend hobby will die one after another unless they get full of the Holy Ghost, take up the sword of the Spirit, stand in the power of God and say, we're ready to goof. They're dying every day. We put four out of our association last quarter that closed their doors for the last time. I'm telling you that Jesus knows everything about us. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 people fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Friends, have you been around a Baptist church yet that ain't full of complainers? God don't like complaining, especially when it's unjustified. If you do have something to criticize somebody for, if it's biblical, there's a way to do it. You go to them one-on-one. You show them in the Bible that they're sinning. Not that they, you don't like how they act. or what. If it ain't unbiblical, you better not complain about it, especially if it's a man of God doing it. But friends, today the church, they don't mind complaining. And he says, now all these things, verse 11, happened to them as examples, and they were written for our ammunition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, stand, take heed, lest he fall. What's he talking about? 
He says that these things, these examples, Israel, what God did them, how he treated them, how he judged them, how he blessed them is our examples and our admonition. What does it mean to admonish someone? It means to earnestly warn someone with counsel. And the word is our counsel to earnestly warn us of when we're doing things wrong. When a person has a bad attitude and he, he causes division, friends, that God's not happy with that. God loves unity. When we don't treat one another with respect, with respect and hospitality and care and we are at odds, God's not fooling with that. When we're not giving and generous, when we're selfish and it's all about us, God has nothing to do with that type of attitude. Jesus said to put others first. And friends, listen, today, as we begin to look, you know how you can tell when God has departed in our text? When you're looking at what we're looking at, if you turn back with me, when this first happened and they went to go take Ai, and it didn't go the way they thought. Instead of them taking Ai with ease, Ai whooped them with ease. And they ran. And they turned their back from the enemy. And they ran like chickens. And the Bible says at the end of verse 5, And the men of Ai struck down about 36 of them, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim, and they struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. See, when they let sin in the camp, when they let sin get in their lives, their hearts melted. Their hearts were filled with fear and became like water. When you read chapter 5, when they were sanctified, when their life was right with God, when they were walking with a sanctified life, guess what it says in chapter 5 when they got ready to take um, Jericho. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites were who by the sea heard what the Lord had dried up the waters and how the Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had all crossed over, that their hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in them any longer because of the children of God and what their Lord had done. Friends, let me tell you something. When your heart melts like water, a Christian that that's happened to, he's unstable. He's unstable. Water is a very unstable substance. You see, when you're standing, when Jesus is in your heart, and your heart is filled with faith with him, and you're right with him, and you're in your relationship with him, and you're connected to him, and he's connected to you, and you know you're prepared for whatever's coming, because you with Jesus, and more important, Jesus with you, your heart won't melt. And what's around you won't form what's in your heart. You see, water, if you put it in cold, cold environment turns to ice water if you heat it up and put it in the fire turns to steam it's unstable and that's what the church is the church is unstable they're not what they're supposed to be based on Jesus and the rock they're more like what's going on around them they're either like a bunch of steam hissing or they're just locked up like an old chunk of coal ice but friends, that ain't how we're supposed to be. Our hearts are supposed to be settled in Christ. You see, the minute sin comes in, that's why the majority of the people in the church are scared to share their faith. 
That's why the majority of the people in church whine about what America's doing, but we do nothing to stand against it in Jesus. We talk about it at church. We say a little prayer. But friends, we got to do more than that. If we want the promised land, we got to get right. You know what? God led them. If you go read the rest, he told them where to go, how to do it. They didn't come up with the plan. What are we doing in church? Well, God, show us what to do. We will. God, this is what we're going to do. We're going to build this, and we're going to start this program, and we're going to try this, and we're going to look over. That church over there is doing pretty good. We're going to do what they do. That ain't what God does. You see, when you get right with God, you'll hear from God. And when God's got a people who he knows is sanctified, they won't be wondering what God wants them to do. He'll show them just like he did Joshua. He'll show them, look, I'm going to cross the... And it won't be the way we thought. Who would ever thought with crossing the flooded river, Jordan, by letting the priest take the over the carpet and put their feet in it and God's going to part it. That ain't what Baptists would have thought of. We'd have put a committee together. We'd have tried to build a bridge. We'd have built a pontoon. We'd have done anything but believe God could move water. And make dry land. And then when they got ready to take Jericho. Because God was with them. What did God say? He said don't go down there with everybody you got. Don't even go down there with 30,000 men. And try to go against this fortified city. Because you will lose. But trust me. Go down there with your priest. Stay behind them. Just circle the city every day. Don't even open your mouth. Just leave the fight up to me. I'm fixing to do the talking for you. See, we wouldn't have thought of that. We'd have been trying to unite with some other church or some other people to get the numbers to match. But they walked around it for six long days. They never opened their mouth. Then God said, now that you're listening, now that you're following my plan, on the seventh day, Joshua, you tell them we're going to walk around it seven times. And on the last time, the priests are going to blow them trumpets and you're going to shout and I'm going to give you the city. Everything in it but the silver, the gold. No spoil this time. It's going to go into my treasury. God worked except for one family, Achan. And then they went to Ai. They never even asked God. Joshua didn't even say, Lord, how do you want us to do it? They went spotted out. Two men came back and said, man, we don't need no help. <laughs> this ain't nothing to it. They went down there with 3,000 men, and they went down there with 3,000 men and no God. <laughs> and look what happened. You see, guys, sin always weakens us as the people of God. And, friends, when you look at the bottom of this, when you get to chapter 7, he says in verse 13, get up, sanctify yourselves, and the people Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. And so what did he say? He said, get rid of your sin. Now, I thank God we don't get rid of our sin the way they got rid of theirs. You know how they got rid of their sin? He said, call in every tribe, call in every family, and call in every man and look him in the eye. And ask them what have they done. And that's what they did. And when Achan came, he says, Achan, honor the Lord, brother. Tell the truth. What did you do? And Achan said, I took. It's in my tent. They ran down there. They got and it was in there like they said. You know what they did? You think how sin, how sin, how 
serious God is about sin. They took him outside the camp. They stoned him to death. Not only him, not only his family, his animals, everything he owned. And they burned it. Then they covered it with stones. You say, I don't like that kind of preaching. I bet Achan and his family didn't like it either. (laughs) I don't like all this holiness when you don't like God. Because God is just as holy as he is loving. You see, the cross, we don't even see it no more. Before it is a picture of our forgiveness and our redemption, it is also a picture of God's judgment and his wrath. Only it didn't come on us. It came on Jesus. You see, you can't separate the wrath of God from the cross and just think of the justice. It's amazing. But God took his own son poured out his wrath, and Jesus took on our punishment for our sins so that our sins could be dealt with. Friends, it's important that sin be dealt with. And so you see in the cross the amazing grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the provision of God for us. But you also see the righteousness and the justice and the holiness and the wrath of God poured out on Jesus his son that's why none of you will get to heaven because you're good and you're baptist and you go to church and you ain't like democrats no one's going to heaven unless you like jesus and jesus was righteous and holy and sinless that's why he can save us from sin and friends listen Today, we have taken such a light approach to sin that when's the last time you got convicted enough to say, Lord, I'm sorry? When's the last time you you knelt down and said, Lord, forgive me? Lord, I didn't even realize I don't want this in my life. I want you. When's the last time you repented? Because Jesus said, except you all repent, you will likewise perish. I didn't say it. And Jesus also taught repentance and faith in the gospel. And friends, today, when you walk for a long term away from God in sin, I don't have to tell you this. Scripture tells you, but I don't even have to show you in Scripture. If you're saved, you know the Lord ain't on you like he was when you was right with him, when you walk with him. We don't have a right to judge people. We don't have a right to treat people how we want. We got to judge people. We got to let God do that. We got to treat people the way the Bible says. And we don't have a right to do church the way we want. We got to do it his way. The good news is the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I, I got this verse here, and I'm going to put this up. And you can believe it or you cannot. But the Bible says, he who tries to cover his own sins will not prosper. You see, you may keep it from me. You may keep it from your mama and your daddy. You may keep it from your spouse. You may even have convinced yourself in keeping it from you, but you ain't keeping it from God. And when our life dishonors God, and I'm not talking about we mess up, we all sinners. I'm talking about when you allow sin to become a habit, a way of life. That's what iniquity is, and that's when guilt comes. But whoever confesses and forsakes will find mercy. I'm here to tell you, a month ago, I was a long ways from God. 
I was really contemplating on, Lord, do I even need to stay a pastor? How would I get my heart so twisted? How would I get so just not the way I ought to be? And I knelt and said, Lord, either fix me or move me. Lord, if I can't do better than this, kill me. I told my wife, if something happens to me, you know who I want to preach my sermon just lately. I told her where I wanted to be buried because I said, I got real with God. I said, Lord, if this is the best I could do, the best thing you could do for me is take me home. But the Lord started working in my heart. He started showing me what he's seen in me and not what you thought in me. You know what? When I started getting right with God, I had more trouble with the church than I've had since I've been here. <laughs> I'm not lying. I said, boy, I'm getting right with God. Now the church is going to love me. All of a sudden, the church started hating me. <laughs> I said, Lord, now they mad at me. The Lord said, don't worry about it. I got it. So I just go out there to that shop and I have me a talk with Jesus. I said, Lord, I don't care if everybody turns on me but Diane. Please don't let her. But, Lord, I want to be right with you. And I want to tell you God's on me right now. Not that I'm bragging. Not that I deserve it. I don't even understand why he would let me come back home again. Because I was in the gut pile. I was over there in the hog pen. I was wasting my inheritance as a Christian child of God. And even more, I was wasting it as a privileged call man of God to minister in the name of the Lord Jesus and preach his wondrous gospel. And I was going through the stinking motions like the church. Instead of helping the church to become like Jesus, the church had made me become like them. And I'll die before I'll be religious again. I want to be spirit-filled. I want to charge hell. I want to take the promised land. I want to live in victory. And if you don't want to go that way, I'm the wrong man for your pastor. But if you do want to go, I'm asking you today to follow me as I follow Jesus. If I'm not following Jesus, don't follow me. But if I am, you might better follow me if I'm your man. And friends, there's an old song that we used to sing, that you, you older folks is going to think, that ain't old, that's new. But you people my age and younger is going to say, that's an old one. It's by an old guy been around quite a while, Chris Tomlin. Y'all remember old Chris Tomlin? He wrote, a, he wrote a masterpiece. And it's been on my heart. I can't sing. Let me get some water. <laughs> but don't listen to me, listen to the words. Friends, this is what revival does. He says, we bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. May we not lift our souls to another. Oh, God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, oh, God of Jacob. I want him, I want him to be happy with me. I want you to love me. 
But if you're not, I'll be okay with him. I'm inviting you today to come up here. It's not a shameful thing to say, I need cleansing. I need to get right with God. That's when revival comes. You want to get right with God? It probably ain't going to happen sitting out there doing what you've been doing. I'm inviting you, church. I want to seek his face. I want to have pure hands and uh, 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 clean hands and a pure heart. Friends, it creeps in. You don't even notice it. A month ago, I would have said, I'm fighting a good fight. I'm running the race. But I wasn't even on the course. (laughs) I had departed. Friends, God loves us. He gave his son for us. His blood will cleanse us. But we can't take this casual approach that we've been doing and see the church blessed. If we get right with God, I promise you, God will show up. And he will do wonders things in our midst. I'm inviting you to get sanctified today, to get right with God. I'm going to ask Jonathan to come up in the praise team. Um, I'm just going to kneel here for a minute and pray. I'm going to thank God for what he's doing in my life and what I know he's going to do in your life if you want him to. And um, I'm just asking you to respond as God has spoken. If he ain't spoke, just stay there. But if he has spoke, please listen to him. God loves you. If you need to come today, come. He'll, he'll bless you.